Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Meg Gossett, Managing Director at Independent Media Agency Multimedia Buying and Planning Services. Welcome Meg. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you because uh, it's a great opportunity for me to really have a conversation that I have noticed there's a trend happening, and that's about independent media agencies. Hmm. There seems to be something going on in the marketplace that the idea of being independent is starting to be seen as a real plus. I agree with you, Darren, because I think um, last year when the IMAA established itself, um, there was a bit of a a noise happening about the fact that the multinationals... um, weren't as efficient as perhaps they could have been and um, the independents were doing quite a fine job out there at their craft. And um, when the uh, Independent Media Agency Association was formed, I jumped on it. I think I was the second one on the the line to pay my membership and I was in at boots and all because um, I think the independents can feel like we're um, alone and we don't have the mentorship and the ability to discuss the industry um, because we are, you know, we're on our own out there. We don't have a great big group or a big branch of other offices in other states necessarily. So it was a wonderful opportunity for us to all get together as a team and have some discussions about things that concern us in the industry. Well, and in your own case, you're not a overnight sudden, um, you know, appearance of an independent agency. You've actually been running your own agency for several decades, haven't you? Absolutely. I think I might be the oldest one, really. I'm, I think I'm 33 years old, um, and I don't think there's too many that are as old as that. Don't ask me how old I am because I won't tell you. <laughs> I would never ask. I've been brought up well. But now, and, and the reason I say that is that there, there's a trend amongst marketers away from the idea that bigger is better when it comes to their media. And they're really looking for an alternative to that approach. Because you'd have to say most of the multinational media agencies are pretty much positioning themselves on, well, bigger is better and we have all these resources and things like that, which has often worked against the idea of the smaller agency or the independent agency, hasn't it? Yeah, that's true. And I think, the you know, the big global agencies do have some fabulous resources and they can march in a very impressive pitch team and they can produce wonderful documentation. Um, but that doesn't necessarily end up being the right answer for the client and the service that they necessarily get um, is not what they expect. So I think that um, there's been there's a big opportunity for the independents to step up to the plate um, and they can produce equal work. And as someone that's been an independent media agency for so long, have you noticed a trend in the last few years, that there's been a lot more people now setting up independent agencies? Oh, there's certainly a lot more of us. Um, um, 
you know, some of them are professional and some of them aren't, and that's why I think the screening process that the IMAA has is a good thing. Um, you've, you've got to have a good reputation with media. You've got to have credibility. Um, you know, your, your record of trading has to be extremely good. So there is a, a screening process, and I think that that's a good thing because some of the, the uh, you know, the, the small one-band situations may not necessarily be reputable. And what you're talking about here is the fact that with the demise of accreditation, because when you uh, set up your agency, you had to be, you would have had to have been accredited to uh, trade in media, which was incredibly difficult because it, there were quite onerous um, requirements of having cash reserves or, or bank guarantees that would cover multiples of the amount of media that you're going to be buying each month and it things like that. It was a very hard hurdle to jump over uh, to set up and get your accreditation. It was, it was very, very difficult, which is why a lot of people ended up placing through um, other arms that were accredited. Um, but these days with the MCRL, it is a, a little easier to get accounts with the media, although, you know, with the big television stations and the big conglomerates, you do have to have a pretty huge bank balance to be able to get a rating. Yeah, you need to get to, to uh, almost secure their payment. They w yes. will not sell you um, media on credit unless they know they're going to get paid, Absolutely, right? absolutely right. But does that mean that uh, this is why we've seen a lot of one and two person shops pop up? You know, I call them almost uh, media agencies from the lounge room. Mm. Um, look, I think it's it's basically people that have been working perhaps in the bigger shops that become disgruntled and they think I can I can do this myself, and they've gone out and set up their own business. And you know, some of them are, are doing well and doing a good job for their clients. Mm. Um, and um, and a lot of them cannot afford to have all the resources that are required to support themselves, like the research and the, the tools that we all so uh, need to have at our fingertips. Um, but then they tap into that resource through through a larger uh, agency, you know, maybe uh, through Dominic Pierman or someone like that um, mm. who, who does that facility and uh, does, offers that service. So. Because apart from the uh, the accreditation needs, there are quite a lot of expenses with setting up a media agency, aren't there? You know, with the uh, all the research tools and things like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a expensive. cheap enterprise. No, it's not. It's very expensive. And um, I know when I first started out, I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to get through this first three to six months of training? And I was extremely lucky in so much as I landed some pretty solid clients quite quickly. But uh, I had three children and I was a single mother and I know I fed them on mincemeat for six months. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to make the, uh, the, the media payments. Yeah, you know, just to make sure I had enough money in the bank. You talked about the, uh, the disgruntled uh, staff from the, uh, some of the bigger agencies, especially the network agencies. Um, that's one of the issues, isn't it, that the media agency categories have? which is the high turnover, high churn rate of staff. Yeah. I remember uh, seeing numbers from the MFA of like 30, 30 to 40% yeah. was an industry average for a lot I of these agencies. A, I think it's a real shame because um, all the kids go in with high hopes and they're really excited to get involved in the industry and it is an exciting industry. I look back and think, wow, you know, when I first started out, um, you know, we had all this 
fabulous things that we could do and um, competitions you could go into, you know, public speaking things that the AMP used to sponsor for media agencies and things like that. Um, and, you know, it is an exciting industry because not many industries you can go into and learn about various categories of, of, of the business world like you can in a media agency. You get exposed to different categories. Um, but there's this incredible workload that they're, that, that they're given and they have to work long hours um, and they get paid very little and they burn out. And it is a real shame that that exists because... Um, you know, it is a great uh, career for young people to get into. And I know I'm very lucky at Multi that we haven't, we don't have staff attrition. I mean, it's fantastic. My team's been with me for a very long time. And, you know, it's, it is, it's like a very close-knit family. And the clients love that too. Well, and that's one of the complaints clients have is that uh, there's like a new person on their business every couple of months and, yep. you know, that they've got to relearn the client or and reteach the agency. And yeah. it's, it's an expense to business that when that happens. It's the same for the, the agency that's employing them. They then have to retrain someone and get someone up to speed and it is an expense. So they need to have a hard look at how they treat their people and, one of the issues has been that the structures of a lot of the really big agencies, you know, I'm talking like 100 plus people, mm -hmm. is that they're incredibly flat. So you've got a large number of very junior, you know, almost uh, rec you know, recent graduates, entry level, mm -hmm. coming in. Mm -hmm. And because it's so flat, they're not getting a lot of mentoring. No, that's true. But also there's not a lot of places to go. You know, after two or three years, if you're particularly good, you might be lucky to get a sort of more senior job in one of these agencies or you have to leave. But and the there's problem, not a lot of places to go to. The problem with them, though, is that the young kids, they get, they get pigeonholed into an area of that media department where they just learn about one thing. You know, they might have to work on print or radio or they get pigeonholed into one mm. platform and they don't get the overall media experience that a valuable media person needs to have. So, I mean, I look back and we had to deal with radio, TV, print, magazines. You, you, got, you got taught the whole gamut and you were responsible for the, the client for every facet of their media plan. And that's why I think um, uh, my staff are so valuable because they have knowledge deep knowledge about everything that's out there. And digitally, we've been very lucky that we've had this wonderful man on our staff for a long time who's developed a product called Liquid Artificial Intelligence. And it, it is um, going to set the world on fire in terms of its capability. And, you know, that's because we've had the time to develop that and give him the flexibility to spend time and do the, do the maths and all that sort of stuff. Because I was going to ask you about the whole digital area because yeah. it, it's like expanded uh, rapidly. Exponentially. The yeah, exponentially, the yeah. number of options available and the huge amount of data that gets thrown at, at agencies but also advertisers yeah. around that. Don't and yet I noticed on your website, you know, you offer the full gamut. You've got everything, you know, display, search, social, yeah. the whole thing, you know. I think our website is probably one of the most informative media agency websites. If you go onto a lot of the big global ones, there's nothing really about media on them. There's stuff about themselves and their staff and blah, blah, blah. But we've really tried to 
put some things on our website that's good content so the people that are looking up and, and looking for information, they can find it mm. on our website. Our most popular question, frequently asked question that we get, you know, through Google is mm-hmm. what is a tarp yeah. <laughs> to this day? Um, and we get a lot of traffic just through our website asking that question and getting the answer. So with a team that's clearly quite stable, how do you go about you know, uh, recruiting, training, upskilling your team? Well, um, a lot of the, a lot, I think you know, through this COVID process, we've had a lot more ability to, to do that because there are so many more publishers doing webinars and doing training mm. online, and that's been fantastic. Um, Jazz, one of our younger girls, she's... She's, you know, listening to something every couple of days. She's, you know, got herself listening to something, which I think has been fantastic. And I can only congratulate the media for doing things like that because they haven't been able to get out and about and see us, but they have taken the time to put a lot of good stuff together to talk about what they can do and the capabilities and the research and the data that they've got available, which is fantastic. Channel 9 have been very good at it, 9 Digital and stuff Mm. like that. They've spent quite a lot of time and money things together well it's probably from their perspective an investment in in the very near future isn't it absolutely absolutely um and you know uh people like verizon and and you know they've had some good sessions and the imaa is doing some good stuff too which they should be congratulated for doing that because um it just gives us credibility Mm. you know well, from my perspective, the uh, IMAA has been an absolute boon because, you know, the there's six major holding companies all with their own media brands, mm. but uh, the IMAA is now 30 members. Mm. You know, I mean, 30 independent media agencies. Mm. And as you say, you know, these are not just all the independents. These are the ones that have been sort of vetted and, uh, and uh, you know, have established themselves as real players in the marketplace. Absolutely, and some of them aren't small either. They mm. are pretty big enterprises. So, you know, I think it's a great thing. Except that they seem to have flown under the radar for a long time. We all do. That was that was something that I did deliberately for a long time in my business. I would not release a client list. Um, I didn't publish, you know, who my clients were. And I just kept a very low profile, but I did use my business network to attract clients and a lot of our business we attained by word of mouth and recommendation and things like that. But I just flew below the radar because and it was a deliberate move on my part. Was that so that you didn't become a, uh, you know, a, a target? and a target, exactly. A target for other agencies wanting to come and try and pick off your clients. Absolutely. But that's not just uh, confined to you as an independent, lots of agencies do that mm. because of the same reason. Yeah, absolutely. But what about the idea that, um, you know, like big agencies, big clients, small ag- smaller agencies, small clients? That's not necessarily true. You know, we've got, um, we've got a whole range of clients from small to large. And um, I think if, if you've got experienced people and professional people that work for you and, and are on your team, um, you can do any job, whether it's large or small, and you, you, you have to resource up in uh, prob- probably to manage the larger ones, but, you know, that's fine. You've got to be good and astute at picking your staff and mm-hmm. keeping them. 
Well, because uh, one of the things, you know, a lot of the agencies, big agencies, will say that they're really not interested in clients that are, say, under $1 or $2 million. Well, oh, that's a myth, in my opinion. Um, I think they're the best clients to work on because you've got the ability to help them grow and you've got the ability to really um, show show them some in-depth information that perhaps they haven't known about before. We're working on something uh, at the moment, a little client that came about by that interview in Media Week last year, last last week. They rang me and they said, oh, we read that and we liked what you said. And um, so we're doing a, a strategy for them and turning something around and it's a little budget, but we're spending the time and putting the effort in to give them what they need because they weren't happy with what they got on a direct basis. Mm. Oh, so they were working direct with the media mm. and now they're transitioning to uh, mm. potentially work with you yeah. as their agent. Yeah. Okay. What about clients that have been with big agencies and come to you? Does that happen much? Um, not really. No. So you're more a grower. Yeah. yeah you're well, that was always my passion. I always wanted to, to get the little ones and help them grow. And yeah. that was something that the reason I started the business in the first place. And I suppose that's worked for us. Um, but finding those small ones these days that are prepared to take the leap and prepared to take the jump is just that little bit harder. Well, and the other problem is that, uh, you know, some of the uh, the wall gardens, Facebook and Google, and Google, you know, AdWords search, mm -hmm. Uh, has been set up that they often feel like they can do it all themselves, this you know, because they've built these online interfaces that allow them to directly um, uh, buy their media online. Mm, of course. And then, you know, Channel 9 offers that as well. And um, there's all those sort of things that the media do um, that makes it a little bit more competitive out there in terms of getting the smaller clients and helping them along the way. Do you think there's a sweet spot where suddenly they're not getting necessarily all the value in a self-serve um, marketplace? Do you think there's a certain point where a business really is, you know, because in a way they're sitting there with, oh, well, I've got my Google budget, I've got my Facebook budget, I've got my press budget, you know, that actually having an agency that can pull that all together becomes an advantage. Well, I think it does, but it depends how astute the client is. Mm. Um, you know, some of them uh, don't have a lot of experience at all um, and they can't see whether they're getting a good deal or a bad deal. They just think they've got a cheap deal and that's, you know, what they can afford. It may not necessarily do the right job and they get disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, clients have to trust in the knowledge that you, you can... Um, provide to them mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of small clients have been burnt very badly by the agency business in the past and hence they think oh well we'll do this ourselves um, but you know I think um, one of our policies is be honest be honest if we can help them we tell them if we can't help them and give them what they think they need um, we have to walk away from it because if a client isn't going to take your advice, um, it, there's not, not a lot of good you can do for them. And also if you make a promise you can't keep or exactly. can't deliver, mm -hmm. all you're going to do is burn them again, aren't exactly. you? Exactly, and that's not what we want to do at all. 
So I'd imagine uh, there's not a lot of business that you'd have to pitch for if they're, they're, they're these types of clients. The majority of your business is coming from clients that are you know, finding you, mm. phoning up and having a conversation. Mm. They're not putting you through that formal pitch process. Look, we get involved in pitches. Um, yeah. We had a beautiful client in, um, uh, we had them for four years, and they pitched their business every single solitary year. That was was their um, head office policy that they pitched all of their suppliers, had to go to pitch every year. Um, We retained that business four years in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, And we took them from Greenfield, nothing, launch company in Australia, to where they are now. And in the pitch last year, we didn't retain the business. I know exactly where we went wrong. Um, But they're struggling with a large agency now absolutely struggling and Mm. so come the end of this year we're going to be back on their door and knocking real hard because um they miss us it's interesting because we see that with so many organizations that pitch regularly Mm. maybe not every year i'm I'm Mm. not sure that's a a good practice but um you know every contract period because Mm. there'll always be someone that will make a promise that seems better on the surface. Mm. But once you've awarded the business, it's very hard to hold someone to a promise, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, like, we, we've watched from a distance what's happened. COVID-19 has certainly not helped this company. It's certainly not helped the fact that they manufacture from a certain country. Um, that's not helped them at all. Um, but um, the big idea that they were presented with fell flat on its face. So, you know, they've, they've gone to a very hard place mm. in terms of their product and their marketing. Um, and maybe a lot of clients are suffering and, and uh, through, the, through the whole process of the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, it's not going to stop us from marching out and knocking on their door because I'm a true believer that you've got to keep your name out there in this climate. The ones that are marketing strongly mm. are going to come out of it in a better position. Yeah. So, yeah. There's something you um, mentioned earlier, which was about the idea, you know, when I said that there are agencies that say they're really not interested in clients under a million dollars. There must be some clients that start off with a relatively small amount of money that, uh, you know, in a big agency, they would just get completely overlooked, wouldn't they? Yes, they do. And I've, I've seen it. Um, What's the smallest client you've ever had come through the door? $2,000. Yeah. $2,000? Yeah. $2, Unbelievable. Yeah. And look, that client's now a $300,000 client and we still have them. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Well, that's, a, uh, that's an amazing uh, positioning because you could literally position yourself as the agency to grow and then have all these case studies. Mm, exactly. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I think it's a great challenge to help a company grow. Sorry, two thousand dollars in yeah, media. Yeah, <laughs> little, like little classified ads in local papers. That's how it all started. Yeah, and, and now it's a very different company completely. And with uh, media becoming so much more accessible in a way, especially the digital media, do you find now cl- some clients are inclined to think that they know as much as your team do? No, I don't. I think that um, clients are very um, uh, overwhelmed by the right. digital 
um, space. Um, they might think they know, but then, you know, you get a really experienced digital person talking the talk and they'll go, oh, and they, they you know, sit back and they listen. Mm. Um, I mean, the digital thing is just changing all the time. It's, it's a very exciting space, but um, I think there's data overload. I mean, I think you've got to keep it simple um, and, and guide your clients through the process because if you can help them understand it, you'll have a better relationship and they'll understand why they need to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Which makes it more like a, a you know, the traditional partnership. A, a lot of people in agencies talk about having a partnership in quotes with their, their clients, mm. but in actual fact, you know, it, it either tilts one way or the other. It's either the person with the most information mm. is in power mm. or the person with the money is in the power. You know, and it's interesting you can't on a client by client basis. Buy your way out of stuff these days. You've got to, you know, big budgets don't necessarily mean that you're going to succeed. Um, you, your statement before, you've got to be smarter. I think that the fact that these days uh, media consumption is so um, much broader, everyone taps into so many different platforms in terms of getting their information. You've got to, you've got to be wise about how you manage that money mm-hmm. um, to make it work in the best possible way. Well, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I think it was, uh, you know, Harold Mitchell was the most famous independent media uh, agency owner mm-hmm. in Australia. And Harold was always pushing bigger was better because he was the biggest independent. Well, he's not my favourite person. <laughs> he's, not, he's not the favourite person of quite a few people in the yeah. industry, so I don't yeah. think you're alone there. You're no. not Robinson Crusoe, No, Meg. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> But, you know, that the example that you raised in his name, um, you know, I think he, he was an extremely successful man and, uh, you know, a very wealthy man in, in, the, in the long run. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of people that have come out of his, his agency and uh, I don't believe that there was always the right ethics applied um, and the right strategies you know, given I've got a client that's been on my books now for a long time that came out of out of Harold's uh, agency, mm. and um, you know, different strokes for different folks. He, I, I remember as a new person in advertising, seeing him give a talk, and to to paraphrase it, he said, "All you need to do in media is get the client's money loaded into the cannon, the media cannon, aim it towards the audience, and keep firing until you get a result." <laughs> And I just thought it was it was such a simple and very visual metaphor, but not particularly smart because it no. was all about firepower yeah. rather than what has always been underpinning media mm-hmm. is the, the, the smartness, you know, the, the, right the idea. Well, you need to be smart enough to be able to select media in the right combinations at the right time with the right message Absolutely. to hit the right audience. Yeah. You know, that that's the core, but and it sounds quite simple, but it's actually uh, quite complicated yeah. and, you have and be becoming fun. more complicated because there are so many more options Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, years ago um, I worked at a, an agency that was Fortune Australia, which was one of the largest Australian-owned agencies uh, back in its day. And we had the Australian Government Advertising Service and we placed all their radio and television. We didn't do their print. It was just the, the radio, the air media contract. And they had a, um, 
a, a, a you know an edict that every television station you had to buy equal tart weights on each station. Each station had to get you know the same value. And I sort of thought about this, and I thought this is this is ridiculous. This is a waste of taxpayers' money because we're not really um, buying this in the right way. I mean, the Channel Ten audience was always younger and the you know the channel nine audience always skewed more up upper echelon avs whatever yeah. it was and i put a, a put a document to the government to say that or to the advertising service agency which was up here in north sydney and i said look we have to buy by demographic we have to buy the audience we want we don't need to buy equal tarps on this channel if we want to have people in the defense forces or people in the army reserve we've got to target this this and this and it's not on that station we can't give them equal tarp weights and they changed the whole uh, way that television was bought and you know that sort of illustrates the point that you're making that you've got to buy the correct audience yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah and and uh, also probably overcame a huge political thing, which was that they wanted to give the right amount of money to all the media proprietors so that they'd all report well on them yeah. in Canberra. Yeah. But um, apart from that, apart from my cynical observation <laughs> there, uh, the other thing I've noticed is that a lot of uh, companies are moving to short-termism, right? And what I mean by that is planning media to get short-term results. Mm right? And the use of a lot of the digital channels actually feeds that because they provide huge amounts of information around who clicks on your ad, whether it's a Facebook ad or a Google AdWords or whatever. Mm. But there's still a need to fill the top of the funnel. Is that one of the tr transitions that you find with some of the clients that uh, that come to your agency that you know that that they think of media as sort of like the sales force of their their uh, investment? Yeah, clients have gone through a, you know a process where um, they thought that television viewing was declining and that television didn't have the power that it used to have, um, but now here we are seeing the whole reverse of that situation and people have come back to a more equal equilibrium in terms of the thinking and they, they know that television is, you know, the mainstream. It's where you, you are going to create your awareness and then you've got to underpin your buy with all the other things that they, they tap into. And, and that's, you know, digital, whether it be BVOD, you know, catch-up TV, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you've got to have the ability to, to use all of those things in order to capture um, your, your audience um, you know it's it's back to that old um, getting the right mix of media yep. and um, being able to support it and report on it and make sure that it is performing I mean um, we have a structure at multi whereby we do post analysis every fortnight and we upgrade ourselves upgrade ourselves upgrade ourselves and we're constantly watching our buyers to see whether they're they're performing and delivering as to, you know, how we expect them to. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think it's important and big agencies don't have the time to do that. I can remember when I was at a large agency, post-analysis was the last thing we wanted to do because we were too busy running. We were too busy mm. trying to catch up with everything to do the, the stuff that had already happened. 
<laughs> well, in fact, uh, a lot of clients complain about the fact that post-analysis is almost uh, non-existent. What it is now is a data dump out of a lot of these platforms yeah. and just pages and pages of uh, numbers that don't really have any, many insights. Mm. Well, that's not what we do. We've, we've got a fabulous post-analysis system and um, our clients are very grateful for it. Well, and it goes to how can you improve in the future if you don't constantly review your performance in the past? Absolutely. You've got to be able to purge what's not working Yeah, and, and move on. Otherwise, you're destined to repeat it over Absolutely. and over again. Just the same circle. And that's the other thing is uh, one of the big complaints is around the fact that it doesn't matter what the brief is. For a lot of agencies, media agencies, it feels like it's just the same uh, response over and over again. Mm. Same strategy, same media plan, same buy. Look, I think that you get what you give. A good brief, you'll get a good result. And um, I think clients need to provide better briefs. Um, the onus is on them to give a good brief so that we can work better um, and we've got a briefing form that we provide to clients if they if they don't or haven't had the ability to write a brief themselves. I mean, most most clients do have uh, the ability to write a brief these days, um, and briefs are important. So you know, as I say, you get what you give. Mm. Well, I think that uh, goes to the fact that it's hard to get the results you want unless you know where you, what the results are you want. Yeah. You know, unless you can communicate that. Uh, as far as remuneration goes, you know, because there's a, a, some people are talking about a return to commissions, others mm. work on uh, head hours and overheads and things like that. Um, uh, do you have any, pr and, and also some are working increasingly on performance base, so awesome. achieve, achieving results. Are all those all on the table with, uh, Look, with you, or do you have a preferred remuneration model? To be honest, Darren, we've always worked on the commission system. Right. It's not often that we've gone into a head hour um, uh, model. Um, we did have to an extent uh, with Mervac some years ago, but it was only uh, where perhaps um, a buyer didn't eventuate or whether it was a non-commissionable transaction that was involved there and we charge head hours. But um, I've found that the commission system works well. You get remunerated for what you've done. Um, and what you haven't done in terms of if you have to cancel a campaign, well, that's the luck of the game. But um, we've always worked on a commission-based system. It's interesting because uh, I find procurement people especially, uh, when they've done a, a retainer model, yeah. will always then compare it to the, uh, the total media expenditure to work out the effective commission rate. Yes, exactly. As a benchmark. Exactly. You know? But look, we've had situations with um, clients where, you know, if we've done a post-analysis of a campaign and that campaign has delivered them extremely good value and we've doubled their budget or whatever we might have achieved, um, there's a bonus co uh, commission placed on the added value that we've acquired for them. And we, we've have, we have it audited and the value is definitely uh, there and clients are happy to pay a bonus at the end of 12 months if you've given them great value. Um, and that's worked for us as well. And that can work very well where there's complete transparency in Absolutely. the commissions. Absolutely. Because, you know, especially some of the digital channels, you know, you hear stories about, you know, there was the old 10% commission, 11.1% markup. Yeah. 
But uh, you know, you hear now digital channels offering you know multiples of that yeah. as a way, and and unless that's declared and it's completely open, it's incredibly difficult for clients to f know whether they're getting a good deal or not. Exactly, I think the digital space has been a bit of a money spin for a lot of glo global agencies. They've been able to market up and do all sorts of other things, but um, I, I think it's called tech fees rather yeah. than markups. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, if we're given a budget by a client in that digital space, that budget gets spent in that digital space and the commission is retained by us or if we have another arrangement with a client whereby, you know, they're not really based on their spend or whatever it might be, um, you know, the money gets spent where it's supposed to be. Still quite a neat approach, especially yes. when you're dealing with media only. Yes. I mean, I think the confusion for people was that, you know, we have to remember a lot of the major uh, network agencies came out of creative agencies. Absolutely. You know, when I started, it was the week that Mindshare popped out of JWT. They were still in the same building. So, yeah, yeah. you know, suddenly being able to separate the old commission and service fee uh, became quite problematic yeah. because they were two separate entities. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, these days um, we don't have a lot of small agencies on our books. I mean, in the days gone by... We used to regard the small agencies that we did work for as our sales force. They'd go out and, you know, they'd get, bring clients in and so on and uh, they'd put a service fee on. I don't think I've got an agency on my books now that charges a service fee. Yeah. Well, and I think that's because, you know, the media has become its own its own business. Mm. You know, that the idea... Though we are seeing creative agencies increasingly say that they're now rebundling media yeah, back yeah, in there. Full service. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and that's interesting, isn't it? Full service, because I noticed uh, on your website it says full service, yeah. but you mean full service media agency. Yeah. You're not exactly. offering creative, are you, Meg? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if a if a client comes and asks us if we know a good creative agency we'll steer them to that agency if we if we think they've got experience in that category or whatever. But no, we don't offer creative service. Right. So if you were um, if you were asked to put a case for independence, what do, what would you say are the three best things about being independent from your perspective? Um, well, from my perspective, I think um, most independent agency um, proprietors and management are pretty hands-on with their clients. We are involved in the day-to-day -day client operation, the day-to-day -day servicing of our clients. Um, the client gets wisdom and experience from an independent agency that may not necessarily exist um, in a global shop because, you know, the once-a-year, twice-a-year phone call from the MD um, is, is all they get and, you know, that's not necessarily how independents operate. Um, we're much more hands-on and involved. Um, um, in terms of uh, point two, I think the service of an independent agency can be more agile. Mm -hmm. We can work faster. I find that we can get back to clients a lot more quickly because you don't have all this bureaucracy to go through and so on. So I think that we're more nimble-footed um, in terms of, you know, servicing our clients. Um, and a third point is I think that the independents have a personal passion to offer um, that might not necessarily exist in a big shop. Well, you certainly have skin in the game. I mean, uh, <laughs> your agency 
which is the um, Multimedia Buying and Planning Services Proprietary Limited, has had the same managing director for 33 years. That's exactly right. I'm not sure how many other agencies, especially network agencies, could say that they've had the same CEO or managing director no. for that amount of time. Exactly. exactly. So every single client that's gone through, you've personally been involved in. Absolutely. And still are. I'm still involved with all of them. Mm. You know, and I'm not ashamed to pick up the phone and answer the phone and say, you know, good morning, multimedia, can I help you? Because that is what it's all about. And mm. uh, that's the thing that we make sure we do. It's not just clattering away on the email. We contact our clients. We speak to our clients every day. And that's important to maintain those relationships. Mm. Mm. And watch them grow. Mm. Absolutely. And that's the fun of it. It's a, it's a great thing when you can look back and say, I helped them do that. And we did that. We came up with that idea and we came up with that integration. And, uh, it was successful. Do you think that contributes to your staff's sense of purpose? Definitely. Definitely. We all know, like this morning, we all came in and we had this little, little account to do this task for, this new account. And uh, we all sat around and we thought, what? And we were all really enthusiastic. And it's not a big budget, Darren. It's a, you know, it's a tiny budget. Yeah. And we were really enthusiastic. We said, well, when do people do that? What time of the day do they use that? What? And so we were all immediately thinking about um, when they needed to use it. So should we look at that placement or should we look at the front end of the week in terms of the, 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 the structure of the buy, all those sorts of things. So, you know, the involvement is fantastic. Mm. Uh, Meg, I've just noticed the time. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for making time to come and see us. It's been my pleasure. Uh, look, a question before we uh, finish up, and that is uh, if you could have any client in the world walk through your door tomorrow and give you their business, who would it be? Mm-hmm.